Hey there, podcast listeners. Exciting news. My new audiobook, The Short Book Formula, a financial professional's guide to writing a book in six weeks to attract ideal clients, is out now. And the best part, for a limited time, we're offering this audiobook to you for free. Hurry over to www.theshortbookformula.com and claim your copy now. And now, on to our show. Hey everyone, this is Paul McManus, the host of The Million Dollar Producer Show, and I am here today with a very special guest, Jason Miracle. Jason has been in the life insurance industry for just about 20 years now, um, very successful producer, and he is the founder and president of Miracle & Company. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. And what I, you know, I've, I've known you now for, I think over almost a year now or yeah, probably maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, and um, and 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 in disclosure, we we worked together for um, some of our marketing efforts. Um, and the reason I asked Jason to be on the show today is that you know, out of all of the um, life insurance producers I've worked with, um, you know, I until I met Jason, I had yet to meet someone who was extremely digital marketing savvy. Um, and so this is going to be an interesting conversation to have because Jason, in all of his experience of selling life insurance, has very effectively built in modern digital marketing strategies into his practice. So I'm excited to have that conversation with you, Jason. Cool. No, it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, and before we get into that, though, I'd always, always like to start with, you know, getting to know you as a person. And, you know, if we, if we were to go back in time, what was it? What was that defining moment, if you will? That, um, that, that got you on your path to where you are today? Well, Paul, it, it's a great question. Um, it, it, it's an interesting question because when I, when I was in college, I went to school and I, got a, a, I was getting a degree in business. And at the same time, I had the opportunity to work for um, a, a, a Fortune 500 company that was in the aerospace industry. Uh, my grandfather retired from there. I had some cousins that had worked there. So it was one of those where uh, I got a call one day that says, hey, we need like an intern to do some stuff around the office. Would you do it? And, and I agreed to do it. And it, it turns out that I was working for this group or this division. And I ended up kind of becoming the information systems guy for the group at like age 19, age 20. And our division got sold to a, another publicly traded company that had their own IT department that supported the entire company. And the company had about a thousand employees. Hmm. And I was fortunate enough or lucky enough, one might say, where they offered me a position while I was in college to, to join this 12 to 15 person information systems group. And so while I was going to school for finance, I was working a job that involved technology and computers and things like that. And at the same time, I had a cousin who owned a company and he said, Hey, you, you know, there's these website things that people are building. You know, if I paid you a couple bucks, would you mind building me a website? And I needed beer money. <laughs> so so I, I said, yeah, that, that'd be great. And, and I really dove into building his company's website at the same time that I was working in this information systems group. And so I guess the defining moment for where I'm at 
day kind of started really in my early years in college where I've kind of taken the tools I was given outside of college and the tools I received in college to combine them to, to create really the practice that I have today. That's interesting because what I'm hearing you saying is that um, before you ever thought about being involved in, life, in the life insurance industry, you were already studying business, finance in college, but really you developed this um, information technology um, skill set and background. And then fast forward, once you had an opportunity to get exposed to the industry, you naturally brought your skill set with you. Yeah. Versus someone else who might be in life insurance and thinking, how do I tap into um, digital marketing to help me support my practice? Right, right, absolutely. You know, my first job out of college was with a firm where they wanted me, me to make 100 cold calls a day and book one appointment a day. And truthfully, I was pretty good at it, but it, 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 got, it, it just got to a point where that's not a fun activity. Yeah. And... I always thought there's got to be an easier way to do this or a, 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 a different mechanism where people come to you instead of you go to them. Yeah. And, and really that's, that's what the online space created for me. Now that's not to say I didn't fail early on because I absolutely did. Um, but I've always kind of, gone against the grain to some degree when it comes to using traditional methods to find and create new opportunities. Definitely. And if you would share also, um, what, what was the point that really brought you into life insurance specifically? And you told me a story about um, your exposure to a, or your exposure to a group called First Financial Resources. Uh -huh. It's funny. There's a backstory to that. So I got into the business kind of unrelated to that. I was recruited out of college. I didn't really know I was getting into the life insurance business, to be perfectly honest with you. I thought I was going to be a financial planner. And then when I showed up for the first day of training, everything was about life insurance. And I was pretty young and dumb and stubborn and probably still dumb and stubborn. Stubborn. Well, I, I was, I was going to say stubborn, still stubborn. I don't know about the other parts. You're smart. Yeah, just not young. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, you know, they said there's like a 92% attrition rate in the business after five years. And being stubborn, I said, well, screw that. I, I mean, that's my bogey, right? So I'll make it five years in one day. And, and what ended up happening, so... So I, I received at that firm a really good technical background in working with business owners and helping them with strategies to reduce and defer income taxes, some of them using life insurance, some of them using pension plans and other different tools that were available at the time. So I, was, I had a very strong skill set in working with business owners mm -hmm. for kind of income tax purposes. And then as, as my journey continued after about two and a half years, I got really tired of making cold calls um, because they started to get nasty. I mean, some people said some things to me that I would never repeat sure. uh, on the phone. And it just, it really, it really kind of hardened me to some degree. And at the same time, I had a buddy that was making a lot of money in the online space. 
you know, we were 24, 25, 26, and he's driving around in a brand new Mercedes and making all this money, and I was doing okay. And we decided to start a term insurance website. Hmm. And we got space, we started this little company. Um, turns out that the guy I was in business with really didn't have much more to contribute, didn't have anything to contribute. We were really out of business probably within nine months. And at the time I had met a, a, a friend who was starting a company as a, a, what's an FMO or a general agency. And I, and I, and I was using him for the website to, to write my business through. And I called him up and I said, Hey, this, this really isn't working out. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, well, why don't you come work with me as a, a brokerage director? So I kind of went, from the retail side of the house to the wholesale side of the house. And what, what was really beneficial for me is at the time or, or shortly after I joined the company, he had established an arrangement with, with First Financial Resources to provide um, some ancillary carriers and products that FFR at the time didn't necessarily have direct access to. And so... I was fortunate enough to be the person that worked with FFR and their producers for those different carriers and products. And, 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 just, with, and just for audience, because um, I think it was actually through First Financial Resources or FFR that we got to know each other. Um, and, and FFR, for someone that's not familiar with them, they're uh, um, one of the top, I believe one of the top um, producer groups in the country and all of their members um, you know, pay a substantial amount of money to be part of this group. And so they typically do a minimum of about $250,000 of target premium, but many of them do well over a million dollars of target premium a year. So it's very, it's a very high level group that you got associated with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And at the time they weren't as big as they are now. Um, but you, the, the core of who they were then is still the core that they have now. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, in my opinion, they're some of the most, uh, uh, they're a very intelligent group of people. I mean, they, they don't, they haven't gotten to where they are because they're, they're not. And so I was, I was very lucky to establish relationships with a core group of five to 10 guys where we ultimately got to a point where there was a level of trust between us that, I was able to take some of the technical skills that I have specifically with Excel and PowerPoint and things like that and create presentations for them and their clients um, that made something that was very complex seem to be very simple. Mm -hmm. And I spent two, three, four years working with those guys and a lot of those guys were using insurance for estate planning. Mm -hmm. so, before that, I, I had a, a lot of background with business owners, and now I was exposed to this whole new kind of segment, if you will, of estate planning and the advanced applications of life insurance for estate planning. Um, and again, because of the way I can model things in an Excel spreadsheet, I believe it became a mutually beneficial relationship between me and, and the FFR producers that I was working with. Um, and it also gave me the confidence to go out on my own a, a few years after I started there uh, because I now had 
uh, I now had one a better understanding of the industry, but I also had a better understanding of the people I wanted to work with. And, and it's interesting because a lot of the people you work with to do estate planning are business owners. Yeah. And a lot of the reasons they need the life insurance for estate planning is because their balance sheet is so illiquid because their main asset is typically privately held stock of the company that they built and grew. And, or it's, it's, it's commercial real estate. It's, there's just doesn't tend to be a lot of liquidity, at least here in California, you know, in places like New York and things like that, where, where the stock market and wall street are a major contributor to wealth, you see a lot more of liquidity, at least in my experience in that area. But here in California specifically, we've got a lot of uh, illiquid assets on, on people's balance sheets. And so life insurance can serve a great, as serve as a great tool to create liquidity to help pay for estate taxes. Definitely. Um, in a moment, I want to talk about what you're currently doing around a couple digital marketing um, websites and projects. But you said something that I found interesting. It was that when you first got, um, you, you first started out by wanting to become a financial planner. Um, and quickly you found out that most of the tools that financial planners have is life insurance. And so if I understood you correctly, you know, it's, it's you know, it, or, or it, it's, it's. Well, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I, okay. I, mean, I, I thought I was going to go do financial plans, money management, investments, kind of the, the whole Got it. realm where life insurance would be a, a piece of a lot of those mm -hmm. um, where, where I was, we were trained to just go out and sell life insurance. I mean, there wasn't. So it was a, it was it wasn't a financial planner per se. It was that specific outfit that you were part of. Yeah, I mean, they represented themselves as financial planners. I suppose they were, but I, I've been. I, I since then, I've I've worked specifically with people and financial planners, and it was very. I mean, it's night and day in terms of. Sure. How how it's defined. You know, so, so, so I guess the, the, the question I wanted to jump into was, you know, you and I have had some interesting conversations around this. So, you know, in terms of the, you know, retail market or the end users that, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to attract um, to our services, if you will, um, you know, typically, um, I've found and I believe you found as well, that especially with business owners that wrapping around a message of tax reduction Mm -hmm. ultimately using life insurance products to accomplish that tends to be the way that people come into the funnel. Um, and I know yeah. that you've also had conversations where you have um, uh, interest in simply, you know, wanting to, to a degree, I think, you know, talk about life insurance and not necessarily hide or disguise the solution. Right. Absolutely. Can you, can you just, whatever your insights there in terms of what you found to be, I guess so far what you found to be successful in terms of how do you, especially with business owners, you know, affluent business, business owners, how is it that, what, what success have you found in terms of that messaging that brings them into your sales cycle? Well, a lot of it, a lot of it starts with, uh, you know, helping them reduce income taxes and, and it, it's really, it's no different than when I started cold calling. I, I mean, when I started cold calling, my, you know, if I could get a business owner on the line, my first question would be, are you in a position where you're going to owe six figures or more in income taxes this year? Yeah. And if the answer was yes, then I had a qualified candidate, at least qualified enough to keep the conversation going. 
And if they said no, I'd say, well, you know, listen, you'll probably hear from me in the next eight to 12 months. Hopefully that changes and, and you'll be ready for us to talk at that point. Sure. And, and if they said, yes, I am going to pay more than six figures in taxes, my follow-up question is, was always, um, if there was a way for you to reduce that number, would you be interested? Yes or no? Yeah. And if they said yes, then the follow-up was, well, what's your schedule like next week to schedule a 15-minute call? Yeah. And, and it was really, it was really that, that three-question funnel that I had a lot of success with. I got in front of a lot of qualified people and wasn't wasting my time or my, at the time I had a mentor, um, wasting their time driving around all over Southern California. Sure. And so I've kind of kept that three-step thinking with a lot of what I do specifically with certain topics online. And, and it's as much qualifying as it is disqualifying um, mm -hmm. the individual. But at the same time, when I get on a call with the business owner, I'm not just shoving my life insurance solution down their throat. I am, I am talking to them about ways that they can save and reduce income taxes. So the first question is, have you, always, have you set up a pension plan? Do you have a profit sharing, cash balance, to fund any of that stuff? Okay, well, have you looked at it? Why haven't you? What's prevented you from doing it? And, and those questions, or, or better than that, the answers to those questions really allow me to, one, understand where they're at, where their thinking is, what's bothering them to some degree, or, or what opportunities might be created. And then I ask them about their business. You, you know, I, I've been doing this long enough where, you know, one out of five times, somebody's going to present another idea that's going to compete with my idea. Sure. And so what I try to do a lot of times on that initial call is lay out some of those ideas before I even get to my solutions. And that might be, you know, and, and, and I, I think it helps build authority and credibility along the way because, you know, one of my common questions is, do you own the building that your, your business is located? And, if they say no, then I just say, well, that that takes uh, cost segregation off the table. Or if they say yes, have you done co have you done cost segregation or any of that type of planning? And either they have, or they thought about it, or it doesn't make sense, or whatever the situation is. But it positions me, I think, a little bit differently than just coming in with my widget. Sure. You know, um, and it's the same with. I just recently lost a, an opportunity on the East coast because the client's CPA recommended a captive insurance company instead of what we were recommending. Um, that's something that I didn't address early on enough to prevent it from happening or being the one that made it my idea, not the CPA's idea. Mm -hmm. And so I, I lost control of the situation and, and, the result was I, I'm, I'm not going to get that opportunity. And so I try to go through, you know, and, and I'll give you the list. I mean, it's cost seg, it's R&D tax credits, it's captive insurance companies, it's ESOPs, it's conservation easements. So if you can address, like, why haven't you done these? Mm -hmm. And then throw in, well, have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Then it, 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 it helps you position yourself and what it is you're trying to help them with, in my opinion, a little bit better. 
makes you look a little bit more professional and less sales mm -hmm. uh, driven. And, and, and truthfully, I, I had a conversation two days ago and I said, well, why aren't you guys taking advantage of R&D tax credits? I mean, you're, you're a pretty good fit for it. And they said, well, we never, our CPA never even told us about that. And I said, well, here, listen, I said, and, and they weren't, they had a defined benefit plan, but they weren't maximizing their contributions. But they've got, they had two girls in college. And I, I said, well, what's going on? They're like, well, we need cash flow because we've got the girls. And I said, well, we're having two conversations here. You want to reduce taxes, but you want cash flow. And, and I, a lot of times those things don't, they're not congruent with each other. I, I, I said my recommendation would be first, you're not maxing it out your defined benefit plan. If you want to reduce taxes, start maxing it out. Call your pension administrator and tell them you want to put more money into it. And then once you've exhausted, and, and then we can bring in R&D tax credits, there's not much I can do for you until you take those steps. Yeah. And as a result, I'll put them in touch with the, the, the contact that I have just that does R&D tax credits. And I'll have a conversation with him. And that creates another opportunity for me to develop a relationship with them, my core network of, of personal relationships. Sure. So moving forward, um, the, you know, and, and this, and this leads into a couple of different things. One is that you have, um, you know, your digital marketing skills that you brought to the table when you, you know, join, if you, for lack of a better word, the life insurance industry. Yeah. But you have um, developed, <clears throat> excuse me, you've developed a very, very um, successful website, mm -hmm. possibly multiple websites, but the one that I'm most familiar with is um, restrictedproperty.com. Yeah. You're not the, the founder of the Restricted Property. That's another gentleman. I think his name is Ken Crabb. Absolutely. Uh, but he's not really a digital marketing person. And so you have a close relationship with him. He's given you permission, so to speak, to really, in a digital marketing sense, um, attract people online to restricted property. Um, and my understanding is that this has been consistently, this website or as a lead generation um, mechanism has been consistently attracting six figures or more per year. Is that all, is all of that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. In, in, what I'd like to ask is that what, you know, so, so you obviously know all the different, you know, key current um, strategies for life insurance. You know, you mentioned ESOPs and captives and all these different things. Yeah. What was it for you that attracted you to want to um, somewhat focus or specialize on the restricted property trust itself? Yeah, it, it's a great question. So I, I was introduced to the restricted property trust in 2009 um through Penn Mutual. Hmm. And uh in 2004, 2005, just as kind of background, there was uh there were some revenue rulings issued on some plans that were being heavily promoted using life insurance that really got got beat up pretty good by the Internal Revenue Service and created uh a fair amount of problems for quite a few people from a tax perspective. And fortunately for me, um, I didn't spend a lot of time using those techniques and the times that I did it, I, I designed them differently so that they avoided any of the challenges that resulted from these revenue rulings. 
So when I got introduced to the Restricted Property Trust in 2009, I was very cautious about whether or not it was a solution that was going to survive and thrive. And so I met Ken back then, and it took me about a year to two years to get to the point where I said, okay, I'm comfortable enough with this to recommend it to my clients. Mm -hmm. And during my due diligence process, I had a number of attorneys, CPAs that I put on the phone with Ken, and Ken didn't know this, but their instructions for me were, you need to tell me every single reason why I shouldn't do this. Mm. And none of them could come back and, and say why I shouldn't. And so, and there were people I respected. And so I did my first restricted property trust. I want to say it was 2011 or 2012. Mm. And I kind of, I kind of, I didn't back off of, of it, but I didn't, I wasn't out there. You know, I was doing more estate planning cases and not as many business owner cases. And so I didn't, I wasn't really out there cheerleading the restricted property trust uh, brand, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, about three years ago, I was meeting with the client that we did the initial restricted property trust for. And what I, what I do in my reviews is I, I, I put the as sold illustration next to a current enforced projection. And, and literally six years later, the projections were a dollar away from what we originally projected. Oh, wow. Which never, it doesn't happen. Sure. And, you know, it's a unicorn. Sure. And, and, and I looked at it and I just had this, this moment where it was just like, holy cow. I mean, this, this is pretty amazing. You know, I, I'm going to be able to deliver almost exactly what I showed him I was going to be able to deliver. And I think I called Ken on my way back. I probably didn't get a hold of him because he's a pretty busy guy. Mm-hmm. And I caught up in the next day and I said, I said, listen, this is, this is crazy. I got to do more of these. And it's a pretty sophisticated strategy. I mean, it's not like this isn't, you know, they take time and there's nuances, there's tax code. It's, it's not just like, Hey, here's the assignment. Let's go. Um, they take time to develop. They take time to nurture. You've got to educate CPAs. You've got to educate attorneys. You've got to kind of educate everybody. Yeah. And, and that started me thinking that there may be an opportunity that was out there that wasn't being taken advantage of. So when I Googled restricted property trust, Ken didn't have a website that was up there. You, you had, I actually was up there for my Miracle and Company website because I mm. wrote a blog post and I was like number four or something like that. But it wasn't really doing much. And Ken and I, Ken and I are pretty, I'd say he's a good friend of mine. And I called him up and I said, listen, I got a crazy idea for you. I said, if it's okay with you, I'd like to build a website designed around the restricted property trust. And I'd like for you to participate in some webinars that we're going to record and put up. And really what I'd like to be is your online digital kind of marketing arm to help generate new opportunities, not only for me, but for you. And the big ask I had for him that I was most worried about 
is I found out that restrictedproperty.com was available. Hmm. Um, Ken owned Restricted Property Trust, but wasn't doing anything with it. And I said, Ken, what I'm going to ask you is it's up to you have my permission to say no before I even ask you this, because sure. I don't want to put, this is your baby. This is your brand. I don't ever want to do anything that would hurt you or anybody else when it comes to this. And I said, I'd like to register restrictedproperty.com and build a website on it. And he said, go for it. And so that was really, and we only started it probably, I mean, we're a year and a half in, but we, you know, we, we did, over six lot six figures last year we'll do over six this year just from leads from that website um and we get a number of end users we get a number of cpas attorneys we get a lot of financial advisors and you know we probably get more financial advisors than anybody else um i i don't necessarily uh spend a lot of time with financial advisors a lot of time i'll, I'll refer to ken staff just because there's just not enough um, there's just not enough revenue sharing there for sure. me to insert myself. Um, and generally I like to have control of the client relationship, which I, I can't do in that scenario. One of the things I find fascinating about this, um, is that, you know, so much of marketing, at least the marketing that I do, it's typically reaching out to people and trying to generate curiosity and then bring them into your uh -huh. cycle. Um, what you're doing, my understanding of it, via the restricted property web property or website, um, is that the people that are certain, you know, it's very, it's very inbound marketing. In other yeah. words, you have, and you mentioned, you know, some business owners, some CPAs, some attorneys, um, some financial advisors. But in other words, they're hearing about the restricted property trust somewhere. And of course, like we all do today, we Google it. Yeah. And you and your website, whether it's on LinkedIn or I'm sorry, on um, Google or on YouTube, come up first. And, yeah. and you know, you have the, the the tools, including webinars and different things, both for um, end users as well as CPAs and tax advisors. Yep. From you know, I guess the question is, is that you know, bringing in people that are already predisposed to the solution. Mm -hmm. how is that? I mean, it, it sounds like a really cool thing. In other words, you know, you, they have an opt-in, they have a, you know, email campaign, you're successfully generating revenue from it. Um, can you just share any insights or thoughts about that more inbound approach, which I think many people would find appealing versus more the outbound approach. And you've mentioned cold calling and different yeah. people try to go out and find people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like that, that push versus pull scenario, you know, it's the invited guest. Yeah. I much prefer, it's obviously easier to work with somebody that's interested mm -hmm. in something you offer. And the internet makes it possible to do that. You know, um, there's not a big purchase that a lot of us have made in the last five years without doing some research online. Exactly. Both, both pros and cons, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'll bet maybe in half those cases, you end up potentially buying from one of those sites that you saw it or it somehow influences your decision or you somehow enter into their funnel to ultimately end up at the place that you're going to end up making that purchase. Yeah. 
I, I mean, from, I, you know, we bought our home. We didn't buy it online, but we found it online first and found out there was an open house and sure. we, uh, showed up. We research cars. We research life insurance, pension plans. We, we research, at least I do, just about everything. I mean, before I have a conversation with somebody, I already know everything about them. If they make it available online, from their college to their marital status, you, you know, a lot of it's available. And so my goal is always to position myself, my products, ideas in a way that not only provides the education and the tools that they're searching for, but I'm also creating what I call lead magnets, replacing lead magnets, so I can capture their information. And there's a number of ways to do that. And what we've done specifically on the Restricted Property website is you can download a case study. Mm -hmm. Very simple, right? Everybody wants it, but they've got to give us their name and their email address in order to access it. Then we've got it set up so they automatically receive an email with a link to the case study. Mm -hmm. And then we've got it set up so two days later, they receive a separate email that says, hey, I'm just touching base. I wanted to introduce myself. My name's Jason. If you have any questions, let me know. Mm -hmm. You know, and we can build that out as far as we want. Then the other thing we did is we've done some recorded webinars. So we've got an introduction to the, the, the solution and we've got a webinar for tax professionals. Mm -hmm. And again, they've got to register if they want to access those. And, and truthfully, we use the tax professional webinar to pre-qualify CPAs that are working with our prospects. I was going to actually ask you about that because in my experience with advisors, um, you know, oftentimes they have an opportunity with a, a business owner and the business owner has an existing CPA and, you know, there's a trusted relationship there. Um, and oftentimes the success of moving forward depends on what that CPA says about, yes, this is a good idea or no, this is a bad idea. Right. Uh, and oftentimes that's just out of, you know, just being conservative, not knowing enough about it, not wanting to say something that gets someone in trouble. So, I mean, you know, ignorance for lack of a better word, you know, conservative and just not knowing enough. And what you've done through webinars um, is you've actually put together the educational package for the CPA or tax advisor so that they can spend maybe 30 to 60 minutes, understand at their level um, all the, you know, um, complexities, if you will, of right. restricted property is. And so by the time maybe you and the business owner and the CPA get together, now they're a very educated um, uh, partner in terms of understanding what it is and can really ask good questions and advise their client as to whether or not this is good. Does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I listen, I, I call it making them a welcome guest instead of an annoying pest. Okay. <laughs> right? Because a lot of times, listen, there's a lot of great CPAs out there, but there's so many different things out there that it's impossible for any CPA to know everything about anything that can help anybody reduce taxes. Yeah. Okay. Where the disconnect occurs in my opinion is if you're bringing a tax idea to a CPA's client, 
and it didn't originate through the CPA, they tend to not like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, because now I'm a threat to them, which I'm not. I'm not, I'm not at all. I, and that's never my intention. But instead of me getting on a call with the CPA who's hot because the idea didn't originate with them, yeah. I require that they watch the webinar before I get on a phone call. And so it takes them from hot to cool. Yeah. And I think it shows that we're not just out there to shove this down their client's throat. We're here to work with them. It's a very technical webinar. It gives them all the answers they need as to why it works, how it works, et cetera. The other thing it does is it doesn't require me to remember all the code sections that Ken knows Sure. <laughs> in order to, to, to resuscitate them and, and, and do it. So selfishly, it, it keeps me from kind of looking like a fool or putting myself into a position Interesting. where I don't look underprepared. And so what happens is ultimately when we get on that call, they become a welcome guest. They're not hot anymore. They're totally cool. And it becomes a much more productive conversation about how we can work together to help this individual that we now mutually are here to help and and even then the conversation will often lead into well i've got a couple other clients i'd like to talk to you about <laughs> and so it, it really it's really a shift yeah. and, and, and it 15 years ago i don't think i would have had the confidence to do it but now it's an absolute requirement like you're not you're just, if we get on the call and you say yeah i watch the webinar it's kind of like, well, are you going to have time in the next couple of days? Yeah. Okay. Well, what's your schedule look like next week? Yeah. No, definitely. Um, so moving forward and just briefly, um, I know that you're working on a new project um, for life or for online tools. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you're willing to share with our audience in terms of what you're building and what you're thinking behind that is? Um, don't build websites yourself. <laughs> <laughs> don't do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it, yeah. I, I listen. I, I at the end of the day, I'm a digital guy. I, yeah. I, I I think more in that space than I do with with insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the hybrid of the two is really what's given me an advantage and. and before I share that story, I'll share a quick story with you. So, so back in 2010, I built a site dedicated to long-term care insurance. Hmm. And with a partner, we ended up getting ranked number one on Google for the term long-term care insurance. So we were generating hmm. at its peak anywhere from 150 to 200 leads a month. Wow. Um, but the way we got to number one wasn't probably the best way to get to number one according to Google, sure. and I don't disagree with them. I mean, they were totally right what they did to us. Um, Talking about the Google slap. We, we didn't get slapped. We got a knife shoved through our heart because literally we woke up one morning after they had done an update of their algorithm. Mm. And you couldn't find us on Google. So we had been, I can't forget, I can't remember the name, um, but we'd been buried. I, I, I mean, we were blacklisted, basically. 
And we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time, my partner at the time spent a lot of time building up the content, servicing and making all the calls and doing all that kind of stuff. So I, I didn't really, that was a restricted property. That's an easy, that's an easy website. It, 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 you know, well, easy, well, I, 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 easy for you, man. I mean, <laughs> right. But it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not this hugely competitive search term. Right. So it's, it's not, it's not that hard. I wasn't sure if I wanted to take on a project the magnitude of long-term care insurance from nine years ago. Yeah. And I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking and talking to you and talking to some other people as to whether or not I wanted to commit to it. And right now I'm currently developing a website called lifeinsurancehq.com. It's a, I own like 40 domains. I mean, if anybody wants to buy long-term care insurance, California.com, I'll sell it to you. I've got New York long-term care insurance.com. I've got long-term care insurance store. I've got H&W life insurance. I mean, I, you know, people collect shoes. I collect domains. Um, but the goal of life insurance HQ is to be, a place and a resource for individuals and families, business owners and professional advisors, where we're not only going to provide term life quotes, which I, most people in the space offer, yeah. we'll still offer it, mm -hmm. but those sites lack any information on more advanced planning techniques for higher net worth individuals interested in utilizing those strategies that use life insurance in them. So really life insurance being the core product, but then providing the tools, information, and education around what that tool is used in, whether it's restricted properties, split dollar, premium financing, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to do comparisons. We're going to do policy reviews. We're kind of going to, in my opinion, Listen, I'm sure we're going to do a lot of term insurance, which is what it is. I'll hire somebody. We want to create that crossover so that it's not just exclusive to that 30-year-old parent. We want it to be the place where the CPA goes, the trustee goes, to access information on life insurance tools and techniques, yeah. as well as high net worth individuals who may have been prevented, presented premium financing. Sure. You know, there's a lot that goes on in this industry that I don't necessarily agree with. Sure. Um, and like it or not, this gives me a platform sure. to be able to verbalize those thoughts and opinions. And in some way, whether or not people do business with her or not, it helps them make a better decision than they would have without that information. Sure. There, um, Hmm. Wow, this this um, I'm so fascinated by by this conversation that I it's it's going longer than I originally planned. Do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, you know, in terms of digital marketing, and that's near and dear to my heart as well. Um, you know, you've you've used, um, for example, the word platform, and you've used. And I'm not sure you used it, but I heard it in my ears. You know, kind of the idea of authority marketing, right? So mm -hmm. someone wants to go and Google, you know restricted property, they want to Google long-term long care, they want to Google something related to life insurance that this new website would be, um, hopefully, show up on. 
what are your general thoughts or experiences or insights in terms of um, the idea of platform authority marketing and digital marketing versus the way that I find most um, life insurance producers do, which is very much one-to-one, which is very much personal relationships and not so much um, an online platform or presence. Yeah, no, and, 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 and truthfully, digital marketing is all I do. I, I, I do have a lot of personal relationships. I, I, I sit on the plan giving advisory committee of Hogue Hospital. I'm involved with a golf tournament that I'm a chairman of. So it's not that I'm not doing those things. It's just I'm also doing the digital side. And I don't, I, I don't think it, both work. You know, I like the digital side because I, I, I'm kind of an operations guy where I see something and if it takes you 15 minutes to do it, I want to figure out how to do it in 14. Yeah. And so I've gotten to a point where, listen, I live in Orange County, California. It takes me three hours to get to West LA and it's 48 miles away. And so I need to find a way to be more efficient so I don't have an eight hour day where six of it's spent in a car and two of it's in a meeting. Yeah. Now that that's an extreme example, but if the way, the way the internet has evolved, it's becoming more and more socially acceptable to do business this way where we're still seeing each other. We're still talking to each other. Yes. It does remove a little bit of that personal friendship. I don't get to see all the pictures that are under your computer. Um, I don't get to walk through your office and get to look at your widget. That doesn't mean it won't. But again, a lot of times the door opener starts here. Mm-hmm. And if they're local, the second or third meeting is going to be at their place of business. Yeah. And so I, I'm still a fan of both, both platforms. I still mm-hmm. have lunches two or three times a week. Um, I still get in the car, but somebody can come onto my website tonight at 10:30 and fill out a form that says, I want a proposal on this. Yeah. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to get into a car. Um, they trust me enough that they'd fill out a form. You know, the hard part is there's not, you're, you're not forming that relationship as quickly as you might in person. Yeah. So you got to overcome that to some degree, but hopefully the volume of what becomes available digitally offsets a little bit of that relationship building. So you go from more of a quality to a more quantity type platform when you're working digitally. Definitely. Um, final question. So, you know, from this whole conversation today and, you know, your experience the past 20 years, um, what is any final advice, if you will, that you have for um, an advisor, specifically in the life insurance business, is there any final advice that you would suggest to them, whether it's around digital marketing, the restricted property trust, or a combination thereof? Yeah, I mean, I think at a minimum, you've got to have a website. I mean, I would encourage everybody to not rent or buy or lease a website from one of these companies that'll do it for you because all that means is you're going to have the same website as everybody else out there. Um, CPAs are just as guilty of that. I I, I mean, if you look at different CPA firms, they, a lot of them 
there's a one firm that made a ton of money selling websites to CPAs because a lot of them look the same. So do something to differentiate yourself. Continue to put content on it just so that it looks like it's not something that you set up just to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, make it, 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 you know, set a goal for yourself, whether it's twice a year, once a year, four times a year. Um, when I first built the Miracle and Company website, which by the way is stale, I'm guilty of this right now because I haven't posted anything on it for a year. Um, but we've been building out these other properties. So my time's been, you kind of got to pick and choose, but I made a commitment to post something once a month, every Thursday, you know, Um, and it it took work. I mean, and and it was good content. So, but my, my advice is, I think the business isn't getting easier. I think it's getting harder. I don't know why that is. Um, it, it could be because there's too much information out there. There's too many of us out there trying to get them as clients. I just think if you treat people with respect, you touch them, you know, um, call them, reach out to them, are friendly, get to know them, ask them, you know, about things that are going on in their life that are totally unrelated to the reason you called. I think those little things can go a long way. And I think a lot of the most successful producers, which I wouldn't say I am, um, have an incredible ability to develop relationships with the people they work with on a much higher, more personal level than just an advisor client. Um, And then lastly, I'll close with this, is work with people you enjoy working with. Um, It's not always doable, uh, but in my experience, some of the people that we just don't relate to on a, a, a personal level to begin with, it's usually too big of a gap to close, even if they do become clients and they typically end up becoming problem clients that you wish you never had. So work with people you like, you enjoy, you trust, uh, who have mutual respect for you and, and life's a lot easier. That way. Yeah. And, and just to piggyback off that, I mean, I, I love that. And to piggyback off of that, you know, I find that when you have those really solid relationships with clients, you know, you get so many more referrals Yeah, because of that. And, you know, and, and, you know, bringing in referrals consistently is some of the easiest business, you know, for all the digital tools that are out there and all the different techniques and strategies, when you have someone referring you in someone that, you know, is ready, it's already trusted. Um, there's a transfer of trust. I mean, that's some of the best business you can get. And so by really, um, you know, not just not just taking care of your clients, but choosing to work with those clients that are really a good fit, so that you can build that relationship. Um, you know, to me, for you know that 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 will never change. That will always be the the sweet spot of growing your practice. Absolutely. Um, for anyone that wants to reach out, um, uh, can we share your contact information below in the show notes? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And for an advisor that might be interested in the restricted property, um, do you recommend that they reach oh, out Ken. to Ken? <laughs> sure. Find, find Jason online, but to get even in more. If, you got, if you're a business owner and you want a restricted property trust or a CPA, then go to restrictedproperty.com. If you're a financial advisor, go to Tom Stytak in Stytak. Ken's office. Perfect. All right, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Have a great day.